Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a refreshing and captivating interview with top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal some entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories, some you've never heard before. I'm George Hoffman, and please make sure you subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is presented by Dynamic Manufacturing. Since 1955, Dynamic Manufacturing has a relentless commitment to quality and customer service when it comes to your automotive needs. They've been named General Motors Supplier of the Year 22 times, and whether it's remanufacturing, machining, electrification, motorsports, and much more, there's nothing Dynamic Manufacturing can't do. Find them on the web at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. And by Raul Jewelers, who offer the finest in rings, bracelets, earrings, necklaces, and much more since 1982. They specialize in custom design, so if you're looking for that right gift, especially during the holidays, head to Raul Jewelers on Barrington Road in Hoffman Estates. And they're on the web at rawljewelers.com. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is also sponsored by the Polina Market, purveyors of the finest meats. Look for them at polinamarket.com and by Vienna Beef, makers of Chicago's hot dogs and a landmark institution since 1893. They're located at viennabeef.com. This week, we feature Bears Super Bowl champion Gary Fensick. I've got a gold record. My kids thought it was a, didn't know if it was a CD when they were younger, but um, <laughs> yeah, we got that. And we also had a platinum video. So, you know, to this day, I can't believe how many people know the tune or recognize me, not in Chicago. I'm talking about elsewhere in the world because of the Super Bowl shuffle. Remember the hitmen? That would be Gary Fensick and Bears teammate Doug Plank, who combined to terrorize opponents with big hits and huge plays from the secondary during the Bears' successful teams in the 80s. But that's just a small part of what Gary Fensick's history is all about. He's a Yale grad and an astute financier, yet he once crushed a beer can to his head. So, Gary Fensick, tell me a story I don't know. Well, you know, this one, George, is relatively new. The Bears every year have a alumni weekend, and um, it's a great event. They do a super job, and I would guess that there are 500 people who are at the uh, the Hyatt. And I was with Doug Plank, who came out from uh, Arizona, and his wife, who I've known Nancy for uh, decades. And Nancy said, "Boy, you know that story that uh, with you and Doug about uh, you giving him the Heimlich." at a steak place in Chicago a couple of years. She says, that's really an amazing story. So I was uh, having dinner with Doug, with my wife, Hampton and his wife and a, another couple. And I was right next to Doug. And you know, during the dinner, my wife, Sandy goes, Doug, you're all right. And I look and Doug's struggling to get up. 
And I thought, oh my gosh, does he, you know, he couldn't talk. And I've actually done this before. So I kind of knew, you know, what was going on. And so I just picked Doug up and, you know, gave him a bear hug. And sure enough, you know, some meat came out. And so that's the second time that I've helped someone with a Heimlich. But I was nervous about it because I knew that several months before Doug had been in an accident and had cracked some ribs. And so I didn't want to, you know, crush him or try to do it too much and only find out that, hey, what, what are you doing? I was fine. I was just getting up to go to the bathroom or something. Listen, you don't want to crush a guy that used to crush people. You know, people talk about Doug and myself, and we would be probably fined out of the league today. But I do think that I also know that Doug, one, really kind of taught me how to play NFL football. And Pisarchik going down the left side to Robinson. Oh! What a hit by Gary Fensick. Otherwise, he holds on to it. But Fensick knocked him loose from his senses. You think he didn't? Woo! And two, I knew that, you know, when I was playing strong safety and he was free safety, that that running back was not going to cut back inside because they knew and I knew that Doug was coming. And Doug was a missile. And Mark, the center is really a good one. Here's a hand up. They go the other way. Look at him. <laughs> Doug Plank hits him, but you pay when you hit the Earl. This time, Campbell's a little slow getting up. Burn right, he's hurt. I want to go back to the commercial you did, which was absolutely hilarious because, in a way, Plank would have been the guy to do that, not you. Yale grads, Gary, don't crush empty cans to their heads, even if it is a prop. You know, when I played football, people said I was one tough player. But I not only outmuscled the other guy, I outsmarted him. I used my head. And a guy like me enjoys drinking Miller Lite, because Lite's the less filling beer that tastes great. But the best thing about Miller Lite is that it shows a tough guy like me can still use his head. Well, how's that, Gary? Oh. You hit it right on the head. There's only one light beer, Miller Lite. Yeah, you're, it's probably true. And if Doug had actually played on the 85 team, you're probably right. He would have, you know, been there instead of me. You know, I was with Miller Lite, those commercials for a couple of years, and it was so much fun because we had an alumni because, you know, they had all these great athletes over the decades doing these commercials. And so I was doing one. Uh, with, you know, Ray Nitschke and, uh, you know, uh, all of these superstars. And uh, it was really fun. But we also had one of the characters wasn't an athlete. It was a dog. It was one of those dogs that got those Frisbees. And so at the end, we were uh, all rushing to get to the hotel after the, the final cut. And uh, we were kind of crushing ourselves into the elevator. And unfortunately, the door closed. And as the elevator started to go up, the guy and his dog, he didn't realize that the leash was outside of the cabin. Oh, and man. the dog just went down to the ground. Oh. And fortunately, everybody pushed buttons and stopped it and opened up the door. And then someone had asked him earlier in the uh, while we were there saying, hey, what would happen if you didn't have your dog? Do you have a backup dog? And the guy goes, no, there's only this special dog and all that. And so after that dog, you know, fortunately, you know, after kind of gagging a little bit in the back, I uh, was, hey, I told you you ought to have a backup dog. So that was a lot of fun, though. It was a lot of fun. Hey, I actually got cut. I mean, that that wasn't a real beer can. Half of it was real and half of it wasn't. 
And uh, on one of the takes, I got the wrong end of the can. Oh, no. Yeah. So I, you know, I kind of gawked myself, cut myself, <laughs> and, uh, you know, kind of stopped the bleeding. But it was fun. We are taping this in early November, so the bear season is underway. And while we're not going to dwell on what's happened thus far, I would like to get your impressions of Justin Fields and what you think his impact on the bears can be. Well, I think he has a, a very high ceiling, and we just need to find out. You know, I, I don't think it's fair. If you look back, you know, the Hall of Fame quarterbacks from Peyton Manning to others have had a very difficult rookie year. And uh, I think Justin will go through that same thing because I think it's even worse today, George, than it was probably 20 years ago. Because when you look at the college games, they don't audible. They're all looking at the sideline. They don't do anything other than looking at, you know, what do I have to do? Uh, do I change the play? Do I change my route? And so they don't have to think. And in the NFL, you do have to think. And I, I know people always emphasize the physical. But I think, you know, especially in Buddy Ryan's defense back in the day, if you made mental errors, you weren't going to be on the field. And I think that that's something that Justin and all these young quarterbacks have to do And that, you know, they're the only one who, who knows that they need to audible. And it isn't just them making that adjustment. It's the offensive line. It's the wide receivers. Everybody needs to be on the same page. And when you have a young quarterback who's probably a little late in his recognition, it kind of has an effect all the way down with the other 10 players. So let's see what he does this year. I, I'm always concerned about, you know, I, I read a lot or used to read a lot about all of these great quarterbacks. I mean, uh, uh, coaches from Bill Belichick to, of course, Bill Walsh. And Bill Walsh had a, a book uh, on, you know, kind of the score takes care of itself. And I think what the Bears are trying to get through is being more consistent. And I think, you know, I, I read or, or actually I heard it on radio uh, a few years ago that, uh, you know, quarterbacks were talking about, you know, what happens when you scramble. And, you know, I think what happens is that the play hasn't worked. And all of a sudden, you know, you're making, you know, a, a decision to run with the ball. Well, if you're the offensive coordinator, you're saying that play actually didn't work. Why didn't it work? Well, it could be that the line didn't you know, do their job, but maybe you as a quarterback didn't do your job in terms of recognizing what you really needed to do, and then you kind of panicked. And so I think that while what we've seen of Justin Fields so far, he can run as good as any quarterback in the NFL. You're not going to be successful in the NFL unless you really develop the pocket presence, because that's what's going to make the offensive game and the pass protection and the passing trees really work. It's just really hard to make that work when you're scrambling outside of the pocket. Quarterback has almost been a black hole with his organization. Jim McMahon was a galvanizing figure in Lake Forest, at least. But he was injured so often that his impact was short-lived. There was Eric Kramer, also short-lived, and Jay Cutler, whom I believe, Gary, was never really given the right tools to work with. Either way, why has this organization 
been so bereft when it comes to the most important position on the field? Yeah, just you, you like to say just bad luck, but I think it's really bad scouting. You know, I've talked to so many, and George, I've been fortunate that, you know, several of my teammates have been head coaches and are head coaches in the NFL. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, Jeff Fisher, who had a you know really good long run, uh, but you got Leslie Frazier up in Buffalo today, and, and of course, Washington Redskins with Ron Rivera. And, you, you know, I've, I've been able to talk to them, uh, including Mike Singletary, about, you know, now that you're in this position, what's different? And, um, you know, I've talked to a number of offensive coordinators over the decades, too, and it's really hard to project a young quarterback coming out of college, out of a college system that's very different than the pro system. And so for whatever reason, the Bears just haven't been able to identify. I'm sure if there was some artificial intelligence, some way of testing someone to project they could make that move. But unfortunately, not only have they been unsuccessful, but in their face are the Green Bay Packers who are at the other end of that spectrum where they basically have had two quarterbacks over the last 25 years. That just even makes it harder, you know, for the Bear fans to accept. Listen up, OEMs. First impressions are lasting ones. Dynamic Manufacturing's impressive complex in Hillside, Illinois, includes nearly a million square feet of operating space. I had a chance to view some of it, and I was overwhelmed by the organization, technology, and dedicated workforce. Dynamic Manufacturing provides solutions for engineering, manufacturing, machining, and logistics, and they can re-energize your electric and energy storage systems. They can machine any project, no matter the size. And when it comes to motorsports, they're your trusted partner for chasing podiums with their custom torque converters. Dynamic Manufacturing is your one-stop for all your remanufacturing needs, and they can't wait to engineer a custom solution for getting maximum value from experienced parts. Dynamic Manufacturing, where there's nothing they can't do. The easiest way to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is to follow me on social media at George Hoffman. That's O-F-M-A-N, just one F, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. We return with Gary Fensick on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. It's hard to mention those in charge would have made as many mistakes as they did. I mean, look at what happened with the drafting of Mitch Trubisky. Such a draft could set back a franchise as long as a decade. Yeah, I think it probably has. First and goal from the 13, Trubisky over the middle. Trubisky gets caught trying to force something in there. You did not have to do that. And, you know, it it also is just a dysfunctional organization that doesn't have everybody who should be included in that decision making actually being at the table. And I know that that was not something that the coaches knew about in terms of Mitch, you know, uh, being 
know, or giving away draft choices. I mean, I, I think that's one of the problems that the Bears, they just haven't drafted well. And if you look back at the 85 team, it's amazing how many one and twos there were on both the offensive and defensive side. I mean, offensively, you know, you had Walter and Jim McMahon who were first round picks, but both tackles were too. And then you had Suey, who was a second round draft choice. And then on the defensive side, you know, you got the fridge, you got Hampton, uh, you've got both outside linebackers were first round picks. Mike Singletary was a second. Dave Dewerson was a third. Mike Richardson was a second. I mean, that's extraordinary. That tells you a lot about Jim Finks too. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, give credit. I mean, he had some really good scouts as well. I have to believe in your heart of hearts, this team should have made more than one Super Bowl appearance during the 80s. Do you agree with that? And why didn't it? Yeah, I, I think I think we would have if we could have had the quarterback position healthy. Mm. I mean, in 86, Jim got injured you know, during the season and we end up with Bambi. First down, the pass tipped away incomplete and it was intended for Willie Gault. The legend of Little Big Man continues. The second career start for Doug Flutie. But things kept spiraling. And then we went in 1987, we had the strike. And you know what, mm -hmm. we missed, I don't know, six, seven games. And that just kind of took us off our pace as well. And, and I, I do think you're right though, George, the, the talent. I was looking the other day before the alumni dinner, the number of players who were really early in their career, starters on the 85 team, I bet you, I know we are one of the youngest teams in the NFL. And so other than Walter and myself and uh, Emery Moorhead, I, I think everybody was like in their third or fourth year. And so you, as a fan, and we as players thought, hey, this is going to be something that's going to last for a while. And, you know, if you look back, I mean, yes, 87, we didn't, you know, we didn't get there, but 88, they were back in the NFC championship game. So, you know, that era was, wasn't just a one year wonder. It, it was something that really lasted, you know, four five, six years. The 85 team was littered with star performers, yet it was the defense that was so ferocious and so incredible, and more times than not, stole the show. The Bears defensively will start Dan Hampton, Steve McMichael, William the Refrigerator Perry, and Richard Dent. The linebackers, Otis Wilson and Mike Singletary bound for the Pro Bowl, Wilbur Marshall on the right side. Mike Richardson, Leslie Frazier on the corners, Dewerson and Fence at the safeties. If you look at that, the defense certainly got a lot more credit than the offense, and I think the UA, we had a very, very consistent uh, offense, a really good offensive line. And, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to Suey about this many times. You know, Matt always felt, hey, if we could get up 10 points, nobody was going to catch up with us. And, um, you know, that was a defense that just was really, really consistent, made a lot of sacks. And, of course, that makes it easier to get interceptions and turnovers because that quarterback's throwing the ball earlier than he probably would like. But I think it's it's all part of a process. I mean, that didn't just happen overnight. You know, we had a we had kind of an awakening, if you will, in the '84 team beating Washington in Washington. Yeah. And uh, you know, Todd Bell, who unfortunately didn't play in the '85 season, he kind of changed the whole game by hitting uh, Washington, their running back, 
on a third down play that, I mean, he crushed him. I mean, almost felt like he was going to get really hurt. And that was kind of a wake-up bell for us. And, uh, you know, winning that game was huge. And then losing the game in San Francisco, uh, Jim wasn't there. Again, he was injured. And we lost, didn't score a, uh, a touchdown, didn't score a point. And uh, we were all crying in the locker room. And I, I think that that, you know, you, you go that far and then, you know, Ditka had us the next year. I remember the first time we met, he basically said, hey, we had a good year, but second best isn't good enough. And I think right there, we all were in the same, you know, psychological <laughs> place to say, let's not forget what it was like in San Francisco. We got a lesson today. In football, you, either you teach or you learn. We learned today, and uh, you know it'll it'll be valuable to us in the future. But we will be back. Believe me, we will be back. You mentioned Mike Ditka, of course, the fiery head coach who was equipped with an enormous ego, and the defensive coordinator Buddy Ryan, who also had a rather hefty ego. So why didn't these two guys get along? Um, I think there was there was, uh, and I'll give Mike a lot more credit than I would Buddy, who I loved. Uh, you know, to this day, Mike will say, hey, let's face it, we wouldn't have been in the Super Bowl if we didn't have Buddy Ryan. And I think that what happened there was chronologically, I had written a letter, cover my butt, had all of the defensive players sign it to George Hallis. We knew that our coaching staff was going to get fired. And I thank Alan Page, who was retiring that year, and said, hey, if you guys don't do something, they're going to get rid of this whole coaching staff. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He goes, you're going to have to do something, like write a letter to George Hallis or something. I, I, you know, I was like, I don't think so. But I ended up doing it. And uh, George Hallis showed up uh, during practice. He had never been to a practice. And we were practicing indoors because we didn't have an indoor facility. We were at the Great Lakes Naval Training Center. And we had already broken up offensively and defensively. And George Hallis showed up. And I knew right away it was a letter. And he told our coaches, I'll never forget it. He told our coaches to take a hike. And uh, <laughs> he said, I've got that letter. I've never gotten a letter like that. And he said, your coaches will be back next year. And so when Neil got fired and the offensive coaches got fired, I'm sure Buddy wanted that job, and Mike was hired as the off, you know, as the head coach. But he had to inherit his defensive coordinator, Buddy Ryan. Yeah, I, I just think George in any organization, that's that's difficult. And Mike, it, it worked. There was this dynamic tension that was unbelievable. But at the end of the day, Buddy got, you know, a head coaching job with yes. the Eagles. And I think that was probably best um, for him, certainly. And, you know, that was kind of unique. Today you look, and of course, anybody who's in the Super Bowl, the offensive or defensive coordinator is probably going to be a head coach somewhere. But that wasn't really the case back then. In the 80s, just because, you know, the you had a good offense, it didn't mean that the offensive coordinator was going to get pilfered by somebody or defensively. But, uh, you know, that that was kind of the end of the, the road, if you will. And even though Vince Tobin, you know, ran a lot of things uh, based on what Buddy did, he had his own style as well. And, um, you know, I was near the end of my career and, and um, you know, left after 87. But I think, you know, Vince, when you take a look at it, we had great stats in 86. I think everybody 
on the defense was, hey, it wasn't just Buddy Ryan. We're a really good group as well, and we're going to show everybody. And so we had a good year. But again, the strike and everything else just kind of put a pall on, you know, the talks about consecutive Super Bowls. Who doesn't love jewelry? Who wouldn't love Rawl Jewelers? Family owned and operated for nearly 40 years, Rawl Jewelers offers the very best in fine jewelry and engagement rings, including mined and lab-grown diamonds. And they utilize the latest technology and offer jewelry repair on the premises. Rawl Jewelers has a glittering array of rings, necklaces, earrings, bracelets, and watches, and offers custom-designed jewelry on the premises. And if you have the most specific questions, Rawl Jewelers has four graduate gemologists on staff. With over 200 years of combined experience and expertise, it's no wonder Rawl Jewelers is one of the leading shops of its kind. This is where my wife and I got our wedding bands many years ago, and it's safe to say, when you walk in as a customer, you're going to leave as a friend. Rawl Jewelers is located at 3001 Barrington Road in Hoffman Estates, right off I-90 West. Rawl Jewelers, when only the very best will do. The 85 Bears are arguably the greatest team in NFL history. And it was such a wild and wonderful season, punctuated by the Super Bowl, but enhanced perhaps by the now famous, or maybe if you want to consider it infamous, Super Bowl shuffle, which you were a part of. What was that experience like? And has your dancing improved? We are the Bears, shuffling through, shuffling on down, doing it for you. We're so bad, we know we're good, blowing your mind like we knew we would. You know we're just strutting for fun, strutting our stuff for everyone. We're not here to start no trouble. Well, um, I do tell people, you know, anytime something's on film, you don't realize how long forever is, which I accept. <laughs> you know, I did that. Of course, it wouldn't be called the Super Bowl shuffle today. I don't know how the NFL didn't sue us for trademark rights back then, right? But Willie Galt asked me to to uh, participate. I didn't. We didn't know that there was any filming that was required. It was done at a basement of some guy's house in Winnetka. And uh, I was given the words and they said, if you want to change them, feel free. And, and then all of a sudden it just hit. It's Gary here and I'm Mr. Clean. They call me Hitman, don't know what they mean. They go it long and watch me run. I'm on my man, one-on-one. -on -one. Buddies guys cover it down to the bone. That's why they call us the 46 zone. Come on everybody, let's scream and yell. We're gonna do the shuffle, then ring your bell. And it wasn't until probably about 10 years ago, because I couldn't believe I'm from Chicago, who on earth during the season would have the courage or the stupidity to say, we're doing the Super Bowl shuffle. And Willie finally fessed up and said, you know, initially it was just called the shuffle, but then they added Super Bowl shuffle and the NFL let him go with it. So, um, you know, I was doing it as, you know, kind of a hey, good teammate. I appreciated Willie kind of reaching across the aisle, if you will. It was uh, supposed to be fun. It, uh, it was kind of corny and fun at the same time. But then we were told, oh, we have to do a video. We're like, no, we don't have to do anything. And uh, the video was done the day after we lost uh, the Monday night game in Miami. Final seconds ticking off. Bears will not go undefeated. 
that they have put life and a spark into football in general and Chicago in particular. So we're like, wow, we actually did that. And I, I had my first date with my wife that night. So after about three hours, I go, hey, guys, cut me out. I don't care. I'm, I've got a date. I'm out of here. And, um, you know, that thing just took off. And it was, you know, it was a unique time, George. And you were there. So this was really kind of the beginning of following sports figures, not just while they're on the field of competition, but off the field as well. I mean, you know, ESPN was just a regional station back then. And so all of a sudden, you know, you see people getting attention or getting, you know, some type of visibility, not just on the football field or the hockey rink or on the basketball floor, but off the field, uh, off the court as well. And I think that was kind of the beginning of it. You know, we went, uh, you know, I've got a gold record. My kids thought it was a, didn't know if it was a CD when they were younger, but um, <laughs> yeah, we got that. And we also had a platinum video. So, you know, to this day, I can't believe how many people know the tune or recognize me, not in Chicago. I'm talking about elsewhere in the world because of the Super Bowl shuffle. It certainly was first, and clearly you had to have some cocky players who were looking ahead, and apparently were clairvoyant as well. Either way, it worked. It worked. Thank God it worked. You know, otherwise I'd be, you know, you guys are so stupid. What? You know, that was probably <laughs> the beginning of the end. You know, why would you give that kind of material to your opponents and all that? But hey, I I was in a Hertz bus in Houston, and a guy working for Hertz looks at me, goes, "I I know you." I go, "I you know, I'm just another guy in a suit." And I thought he was probably from Chicago. And he said, oh, where are you from? He goes, L.A. And then he looked at me. He goes, Gary Fensick, Super Bowl Shuffle. I mean, in Australia. It's <laughs> unbelievable. And in 1986, the handsome and debonair Gary Fensick was featured on the cover of GQ magazine. Very impressive, Gary. And also on the reverse side of a Playboy centerfold. Very interesting. Tell me a story I don't know about both. Yeah, well, the, 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 the GQ. The, the GQ or Sports Illustrated, those GQ, I was honored, man. That was a uh, you know, famous photographer uh, did it. And I went out to New York and I thought they did a great job. And I have those photos uh, framed in my basement. The uh, Sports Illustrated was uh, was a real fun one. Uh, but yeah, the the Playboy one, that's a little more difficult. So I, you know, I was single the entire time I was playing and I was going out with a uh, a woman who uh, had dropped out of University of Indiana. And after a couple of years, she was asked, and I don't know how she got, you know, I don't know how they find you, but they asked if she wanted to do it. Well, it's not, you know, that's her decision, not mine. My mom wasn't very pleased with it, but, um, you know, I didn't marry her, but I did get <laughs> a lot of claps from my teammates. You and Doug Plank were dubbed the hitmen for your bruising style of play, and you wound up with 38 interceptions, which is a team record. But you also related how those hits affected you later in life, and particularly Plank, who said he suffered from a number of concussions. So how do you look back to then, and do you relate it to today, especially in light of so many others who have suffered from long-term and debilitating injuries, uh, let's mention that Gary's also agreed to donate his brain to the Concussion Legacy Foundation. Yep. Uh, and I'm 
you know, I, I'm getting cremated, so I don't think that that's a heroic decision. But I do know that there are not a lot of players who I think want to admit that they may have a problem. I, I to me, it's confusing. But um, you know, Doug and I have talked about it. I mean, I there's no question that if you and I, in my case, I didn't even play tackle football until high school, but playing 12 years in the NFL and eight other years. So I played 20 years of tackle football. And I, I have certainly know uh, neurologists who said, look, anyone who's played tackle football that long, it's hard to believe that they wouldn't have some cognitive issues. So I have gotten more involved, uh, not, you know, just because I, I know the executive director of the Concussion Legacy Foundation, he was a ex-Harvard football player, but, you know, this is something that's very serious. And I, uh, I really encourage people to think about not just football, but just, you know, even in my daughter played D3 soccer. I mean, hey, those women are all getting concussions. Uh, and, you know, it isn't just football. It's worldwide. It's soccer. It's rugby. It just hasn't come to light. And so, um, you know, for me, I want to make sure that, you know, I make some contribution back and anything you can do to help the research, uh, I'm in favor of. So, you know, that's kind of where I, I feel today. It must sadden you the way we lost Walter Payton and Dave Durison. Jim McMahon is suffering from memory issues and Steve McMichael, of course, is also suffering from ALS. Which I didn't know, I mean, but is associated potentially with, uh, you know, concussions as well. You know what, uh, Dave Dewerson was, if, if I was to say, when did you stop the denial that it might happen because of tackle football? It was when Dave Dewerson committed suicide. That, that, was, that was very hard. Mr. Dewerson committed suicide on February 17, 2011. He left a note and text message asking for his brain to be studied, reading, please see that my brain is given to the NFL's brain bank. He had expressed concerns about his mental health, and he shot himself in the chest, presumably to preserve his brain for study. And you know who told me? I was actually down playing golf at Mike Ditka's golf course, and Mike is the one who informed me. He knew all the details before it went mm -hmm. public. And, um, you know, I, I played next to Dave, and I know that, you know, he had some issues business-wise and personally, and it just wasn't the Dave Dewerson that I knew when I played football. He wasn't, he wasn't a real aggressive personality at all. I mean, you talk to some people and he, he just changed. And I think it's because of the concussions. And uh, I, you know, I've talked to his family. I think that they, you know, you're never going to feel good, but I think that they got a little bit of um, completion, if you will, knowing that Dave did have severe uh, tau in his brain. No one, I mean no one, does hot dogs better than Vienna beef. That's because they've been doing them since 1893. Imagine biting into a delicious all-beef Vienna hot dog, dragged through the garden which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and celery salt, and just try that on one of their Polish sausages. Vienna products are available everywhere, from your supermarkets, restaurants, the ballparks, and zoos, just to mention a few, and you can purchase them online at ViennaBeef.com. And look for their farm acres, chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. 
Find them at ViennaBeef.com. Ever been to the Polina Market? If not, what are you waiting for? It's been Chicago's premier market for the finest meats and much more since 1949. Their steaks are top of the line, but there's also chicken, fish, and those mouth-watering sausages. And you might spend hours just perusing their frozen food section, all made fresh. And now the expanded Polina Market offers beer, wine, and sandwiches. It's become a one-stop shop, making your in-store experience well worth your time. And you can still order online. I've been shopping here since 1984. Polina Market is simply the best and conveniently located at 3501 North Lincoln Avenue in Chicago. Check them out on their impressive website at polinamarket.com. Since you retired from football, you became an analyst for CBS. Pretty good one, too. And then WGN Radio for a couple of years, and then you did the pre- and post-game on the Bears for, I believe, over a decade. So why did you stop doing it? Well, one, I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed everybody I worked with. I mean, that was fun. I mean, I worked with CBS for a year, WGN for a couple of years with the Bears, and uh, the Fox was really fun. I enjoyed it. But, you know, George, the current players today, I mean, it's a full-time 12-month-a-year job, and they don't really have the opportunities to try some things before. If you have a great career, maybe you've played 10 years, you're in your early 30s. And you have no idea what you're going to do afterwards. Now, hopefully, I mean, you know, you're financially set if you've played 10 years. But um, that wasn't the case with uh, with me and, and my teammates. I mean, I saw Terry Schmidt, who was a, a dentist. And, you know, Bob Thomas has been on the Supreme Court. He went to law school while he was playing in the offseason. I went to business school during the season and in the offseason. So it gave us the opportunity to at least, you know, explore some areas that you might want to do when you got out of football. And um, as I started and was very fortunate, got into the money management or asset management business, um, as my responsibilities grew, it became harder and harder to really commit to weekend work because I was traveling around the world. I mean, we were part of a, a global organization and I would be in the UK, Australia, China, you know, all over the United States. And uh, to say, oh, I've, I, I've got to stay here because I'm working on Sunday. Well, it isn't so much that you're just working on Sunday, but I couldn't, you know, I would get home about midnight and then you got to be ready to roll or maybe take a morning plane to, you know, at 6 a.m. to New York. And, uh, and also my kids were getting older and both were athletic. And so I wanted to make sure I was spending time with them as well. So I think it just became kind of a, a personal and a, and a family decision that, yes, I had a great time doing it, but I just couldn't be at all the different places I wanted to be. Tell me about the finance industry, which seemed a natural fit for you because you got your MBA from Northwestern while you were still playing for the Bears. You were obviously preparing for the future. I graduated in the fall of 85. How about that? If you like it or not, man, I met my wife. Uh, we won a Super Bowl. I uh, graduated from Kellogg. 85 was just a good year for me. Just, uh, no question about it. Um, I was an English history major at Yale, and um, I had two great mentors. Unfortunately, they both passed away. And one of them, my first one, just said, you know, I, I know you can do this after football, but you should really go to business school. And I was like, eh, I'll do it when I get done. 
And uh, for me and for my, you know, my teammates at Yale, they were all going to med school, business school, law school. And so I was living kind of a parallel life. I knew at some point you got to get off of the football train and get into the real life train. And so um, it wasn't until I got injured in 1979, I, I had broken my arm opening game, missed two games, played the rest of the year. I knew going into the season, my ankle, something was wrong and they ended up uh, doing surgery on that after the year. But then I had a failed safety blitz against the, the uh, Philadelphia Eagles in a playoff game, and I tore a medial uh, collateral uh, off in my knee. So, you know, all of a sudden it was like my career might be over. And I have, you know, the coaches, the fans sent me flowers and bottles of liquor in my uh, hospital room up in Lake Forest. My parents were there. And then my mentor came in and he goes, I know it's not a good time to talk about it, but you should really think about business school. <laughs> so I, I worked out six days a week, came back, made all pro and then said, OK, you know what, I, I've got to try it. So I gave it a shot and uh, it worked out. It gave me a lot more confidence about some areas that I wanted to go into. Now, I didn't initially go into I went into real estate and then, um, you know, I, I got recruited into this area I'd never really heard of called asset management. And I was lucky I, I worked uh, with this group, Brinson Partners, and then they were being sold to UBS. And for regulatory reasons, part of that group, the private equity group, uh, could not uh, stay under a, a bank, which UBS is in the United States. And uh, it took about three or four years to come to that conclusion. But when they did, uh, the head of that group, uh, Bon French, uh, asked me if I would head up the the marketing and business development and join them. And so I I gladly went and been there over 20 years, and it's been a, a great experience. Take me back to growing up in the northern suburbs. You were obviously a pretty good athlete, but when did you cast your lot with football? Um, you know, at my, when I was at Zion, and then we moved to Barrington uh, after my freshman year in high school, you know, I, I really was more interested in basketball. I mean, I, not that I was a great basketball player, but, you know, that was kind of my number one sport. But when I moved to Barrington, I played basketball and football, but football was really good at Barrington, and I played with some great coaches, too. And so I that's where I started to get a little more interest in it. And uh, meanwhile, I, I was getting recruited by Yale and Harvard and, and Dartmouth and really loved uh, Yale. And I'm like, you know, I'm just not sure I'm that committed to making the type of commitment you have to do if you're going to get a full ride. My dad was the assistant principal of Barrington High School. And when I told my parents that I was, you know, not take the full ride and, and go to Yale, they, they were so pleased. I was a wide receiver at Yale. I, I, I wasn't even a defensive back. I wanted to play defensive back, but uh, my coach said, you're too valuable. We needed a wide receiver. And I, but I did it. Uh, my freshman year and Miami was the only team that actually went back my freshman year. And they said, look, you're too slow to play a wide receiver in the NFL, but you know, there's been some conversions and uh, you know, from offense to defense, I go, oh, I, I'd love that. So uh, I got down to Miami and this is really the end of the dynasty for Miami. I mean, Mercury Morris was still there and greasy and the deep, I got treated so well. I loved playing for Shula. Yeah, and how about this, George? This I don't think anybody's ever heard. One scrimmage game, 
up in Vero Beach against the New Orleans Saints. Hank Stram was their coach. I think it was Hank Stram, yeah. Anyway, who's their quarterback? Bobby Douglas. Bobby Douglas was a professional quarterback who often resembled an amateur magician. Even though his sleight of hand was a bit wobbly, his tricks were astonishing. Whenever Chicago's game plan threatened to disappear in a puff of smoke, Douglas had a knack for pulling a rabbit from his hat. And so I'm like, oh, Bobby Douglas. I've been a, you know, I've been a Bears fan my whole life. He has one speed as hard as he can throw it. Well, he completes a short pass to a tight end. I hit him, it's nothing tackle, and I ruptured my lung. So Bobby Douglas is the person directly responsible for me getting cut from Miami and being picked up to be a Chicago Bear. You have two children, one a daughter who, while a student at Francis Parker High School, we're talking like seven or eight years ago, organized a concussion awareness seminar and a son who suffered two concussions playing basketball at the same high school. Your family's very serious about this stuff. <laughs> yeah, they are. Uh, my daughter actually is, uh, you know, she had a neurology uh, major at, at uh, Bowdoin out east. So yeah, she is kind of serious about it. And, uh, and still is involved uh, with Concussion Legacy Foundation. And I think my son, you know, just knowing that, uh, you know, we've all kind of in the family know the people out in Boston and, you know, the uh, Chris Nowinski, who is the executive director, actually, you know, even though he played at Harvard, he's he's from the suburbs of Chicago as well. So, you know, they have an advisory group here. And, you know, I've tried to make sure that the kids understand that, you know, you don't need to play tackle football. My own view is that you can learn everything that you need to learn uh, for football until seventh grade playing flag football. Because you've been a Bears fan since you were a kid. Are you disappointed with how there's been a lack of success in this organization? Well, of course. I mean, I, I, what Bear fan wouldn't be disappointed? <laughs> what are you most disappointed with? Well, you know, I think it's just the, the, the lack of consistency, right? You know, I get uh, I get a lot of mail from fans saying, "Hey, could you you know sign this card and all that?" And um, but I the occasionally I'll get someone say, "Could you put uh, Super Bowl twenty champs?" And I'm tempted, although I just don't do it. I'm tempted to say, you know, give it some thought. You if you lost, like if you're the New England Patriots, you're not putting Super Bowl twenty. What are you gonna put? Super Bowl twenty loser. The only person who puts Super Bowl 30, 50, whatever it is, is the team that wins. Not only that, but go back to the Super Bowl they lost, in which Devin Hester returns the opening kickoff for a touchdown, and you're thinking, it's over, and the Bears are finally going to win a second Super Bowl. And the Colts have had a hard time all season covering kicks. It's Hester trying to work it back to the middle. Gets past the first wave, and here he goes. It's Hester inside the 30. Hester's going to take it all the way for a touchdown. And no flag, 92 yards. This is it. I mean, the, I, exactly right. And I was in that end zone when he caught it. And you're like, I could see the whole thing. And, you know, he's looking up at the screen when he's, you know, down about the 20 or 30. And you're like, this is unbelievable. This is it. This is it. So, hey, it's, it's just been very disappointing that we talked about it earlier. You can't have consistency at quarterback, and that makes it really hard 
So you can afford to pay to get all this expensive defensive talent, but you've got to do it on the first contract of the rookie quarterback, because after that, they get paid too much and you know your your salary cap issues just start to overwhelm you. Well, you know, unfortunately Trubisky didn't turn out to be the guy. And so now you have some good defensive players, but they're old and they can't, you know, they're not reliably able to play 16, 17 games. And so now you you have to have more depth, but that's tough because you're paying these guys top dollar. And you just start running into all these salary cap issues. I asked this final question to all my guests, though. It appears we might know the answer, Gary. If not for football, what would you have been? And did you consider something other than finance early on? Um, you know, I considered real estate. I actually worked for a real estate uh, firm a couple of off seasons and, and really enjoyed it. I talked at one point, you know, three years out of football with Jim Finks. He was a president of the uh, New Orleans Saints. And I, I said, Jim, I was doing radio for the Bears. And I said, you know, Jim, I'm uh, actually kind of considering some other alternatives than real estate. And I'm, I would like your thoughts. I, I'm thinking about maybe trying to aspire to be a general manager. Oh, he laughed. Oh, we would have battles. <laughs> and he laughed. He said, oh, you'd be great. I, I was like, what? I mean, and he said, yeah. He said, you... Um, he says, I, I think you have a lot of attributes that are very attractive. You know, the Yale, playing football, MBA. All. And so Jim said he would support me uh, in, in trying to find, you know, that avenue. But I just couldn't make the commitment of leaving Chicago. So uh, that didn't happen. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you, Gary Fensick, for telling me a story I don't know. <laughs> Thanks, George. It's always great talking to you as well. My thanks to CBS Sports, Fox Sports, Miller Beer, the NFL, and Boston University for those great highlights. And thanks as always to TJ Reeves for putting this podcast on the map, Will Hatzel for his deft editing and mixing, and Nicholas Tochi for our graphic designs. And to our generous sponsors, Dynamic Manufacturing, where there's nothing they can't do. And Raul Jewelers, top jewelers in the northwest suburbs on Barrington Road and Hoffman Estates. Come in as a customer, leave as a friend. Also, the Polina Market, purveyors of the finest meats and much more. And by the Vienna Beef Company, home of Chicago's hot dog and an institution since 1893. Tune in next week for another fascinating episode of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman. And that's all she wrote. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.